net worth is a term we tend to cringe over, and Natalie Moore's perspective on it will be sure to flip this around. That's coming up in episode 137. Are you tired of the traditional money advice? Me too. Bienvenida. Welcome to the Her Money Matters podcast. Join me each week for down-to-earth money conversations that will leave you with more confidence and inspiration to help you take control of your money. And you will probably learn some Spanish along the way too. Lista? You ready? Empecemos with. Let's get started. Bienvenida. Estoy súper emocionada de tenerte acá. Welcome. I'm very excited to have you here. This is Jen Hempel, your host. And we are in the month of April. And Mother Nature has been testing us by thinking she's funny and bringing on more cold weather and chances of snow. But no me parece nada chistoso. I don't think it's funny at all. Aside from the weather being crazy, I'm excited to share with you a fantastic guest that I know you're going to absolutely love. In this episode, you're going to learn why Natalie's parents dragged her as a teen to a live Jean Roan event. You're going to learn the exact actions her parents expected of her when she purchased her first car. You're also going to learn how a floppy disk is what started her understanding of net worth and the impact having her career tied to her self-worth had on her. You're going to learn about that, as well as why she felt powerless after leaving her six-figure income job to raise her kids, and why she equates net worth to sharing the story of your life. This is a jam-packed episode, and so definitely be ready. But before that, let me tell you a little bit about Natalie Morris. She is a broadcaster, writer, speaker, and co-founder and CFO of Morris Invest. Previously, Natalie was a news anchor and technology reporter for NBC, CBS, and The Today Show. Her mission is to empower women to take control of their money, stop living paycheck to paycheck, and to start building real long-term wealth. Lista? Vamos a conocerla. Let's go meet her. Bienvenida, Natalie Morris, to the Her Money Matters podcast. I'm excited to have you here today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited too. It'll be exciting to get to know you. And let's start off with your money story. So tell us a little bit about how you grew up around money. I actually grew up with parents who were really good with money and they didn't have, I, I don't want to say, I want to say they didn't have a lot of fear around money. And I guess I didn't realize how money can really manifest in ways in people's lives to make them maybe powerless or, um, you know, how money really does a number on your self-worth. And because my parents were just really aggressive when it came to money, I think my parents were, if you think of the rich dad, poor dad philosophy, my parents were the rich dad. They really understood that you needed to make your money work for you instead of working for your money. So I definitely saw my parents always stretch themselves. 
My dad once said to me, every house we ever bought, we thought, how are we going to make this work? They knew that the mortgage would be a stretch for them, but they believed in themselves and they had a plan and they thought we can make it work if this. They always worked together. They always seemed to sort of like they, they seem to execute on their goals because they talked about it all the time. They planned together. That was actually the strongest point of their marriage, which didn't last. <laughs> so that was the strong because the, their coupledom maybe was not as strong as their like business acumen together. They were able to create a lot together. So I used to go in and see my mom sort of moving bills around her desk and she would say, oh, well, there's too much money at the end of the money. But she never was scared. And I've seen that in other families where they'll say that as well. And they're terrified. My mom wasn't terrified because she felt like she had the ability to make it work no matter what. And I don't know actually where she got that from. When I look back and I think I would have freaked out (laughs) about these things, but she never did. She was really successful at her job. She worked in the escrow industry. My father owned a small business, which I guess is a medium sized business. He, He has over 200 employees. But both of them came from very working class backgrounds. They just sort of strapped themselves together. They were what my husband and I are. I call us self-improvement junkies. If you give us a book about finance or a motivational speaker or something that we think will make us better, we will gobble it up like a Thanksgiving dinner. So um, I think that's where I get it from. You know, when I was young, my parents really fell in love with Jim Rohn. Do you know who Jim Rohn is? Absolutely. The legend yeah. Jim Rohn. Right. <laughs> And so I remember waking up on road trips and they would be playing his tapes. And so then when he came to town, he would sell tickets for you to come and see him speak. But teenagers got in for free. So my parents would drag us along to to see Jim Rohn. I was like 14. I remember going to see him in San Jose. And so, you know, I was really given, I, I don't think I appreciated it. Of course, you know, never appreciate what your parents give you until you're an adult and you're like, holy cow, for all of this for us. And it actually made me who I am. You know, you can't really see it until you're looking back at it. Wow. To be able to see Jim Rohn. (laughs) I know, Uh, right? Live. That is amazing. So your parents basically instilled, they were hard workers. Uh, They had the quote unquote rich dad mentality. And so basically they taught you a lot about an abundance mindset. They is basically what I'm seeing, uh, what I'm observing. And what other did they teach you sit down and talk to you about budgeting or those type of things? What other things did you learn? Oh, yeah, they did. And my husband and I were talking about this recently. We have three kids. They're seven, five, and one. And we talk a lot about how to make sure that they understand how to see money, how to appreciate money. You know, we were always talking about this kind of thing. And I told them, I was, we were talking about how my parents did not buy me a car when I turned 16. And I always thought that they just, I don't know, I, I didn't think that they owed me a car. But in hindsight, I can see how it would have been really easy for them to buy me a car. But they wouldn't do it. They made me not only go out and research the cars and get a job in order to save the money for the debt payment, research the loans, they co-signed for the loan, but they also made me go and get a checkbook in order to pay off that monthly car payment. And I had to balance the checkbook every month and show them that I had balanced the checkbook. And then I'd make the car payment. And so, you know, I had to do it all myself 
And I'm glad that I did it. And in hindsight, it, it was a lot for a 16-year-old to do. But at the same time, they could have saved me all of that. They could have put the cash down and just bought a car. But they didn't. because. And I think that as a parent, that must have taken a lot of restraint. My dad, he really, it, when I was, this is going to age me, but when I was like, I want to say 10, uh-huh. he was like, you know, there's this program coming out called Microsoft Office. And I think you really, or Microsoft Excel. And it's a new way to manage your money and your information. And you need to understand what this is. And I was like, I don't want to do that. But he goes, you know, he's like, this is your summer vacation. Here's a tutorial. It was on a, on a floppy disk. And he was like, I want you oh, to. Oh, the floppy disk. I remember right. those. <laughs> he goes, you must do these tutorials, print out the exercises and show me that you did it. And so I had to go through these exercises. I taught myself Microsoft Excel from the Microsoft tutorials that came with the shrink-wrapped software. I printed it out for him. Right. And I printed it out on a dot matrix printer. And so he knew that I had learned this. Well, now that I had learned this skill about how to organize information on spreadsheets, he made me keep a balance sheet for myself starting at age 12, where I would write down all of my assets, everything that I owned, And I would subtract all of my liabilities, everything that I owe, and then I would know what I was worth. Now, at 12, I had no liabilities, right? But I owned a Nintendo. (laughs) I owned a 10-speed bike. I owned some CDs, right? And so he made me sort of estimate what those things were worth because he wanted me to know this is what you're worth. This is how wealthy people measure their worth, right? Or even non-wealthy people. This is how you know if the zombie apocalypse came tomorrow and you had to sell off everything and pay off your debts, this is what you would be worth. And that really stuck with me. And I had to give him a balance sheet every year. And eventually I had liabilities. And I kept doing that for myself, even as a single woman in my 20s. I always kept my balance sheet. And that became kind of the story that I tell myself year to year. Why are these numbers different? How did I make decisions against the balance sheet, right? When I want to buy something, I know I'm going to add to the liabilities column. And how can I justify that against my assets column? I'm always making decisions as a family based on this balance sheet that my dad taught me to do when I was 12. And that became really... What I try and teach anyone who reads my blogs or anyone who listens to my husband and my podcast is that you have to live and die by the balance sheet. And what I did when I left my full-time job and had no paycheck to offer my family was go into our balance sheet and go line by line by line in the assets and the liabilities. And I was like, I am going to explode this line by line. So I took every asset, right? Our house, our stock uh money market accounts, our real estate that we owned. And I was like, I am going to really just sort of explode every item, learn how to learn how to do the very best I can, which each piece of this, the 401k, the IRA, all of those things. And then I went to the liabilities column and I figured out how can I shrink this? And that's really in our lives, how we've been able to create wealth in my family. Oh my gosh, you you don't know how happy you make me just hearing all this. Like what fantastic upbringing and, and lessons that your parents taught you from having to do everything with in terms of buying the car, even they co-signed it to the net worth, knowing the really the importance of the net worth that a lot of people are afraid to do, right? They're right. afraid to do, but I always say it's just the number and you need to know where you're at right now 
to build from that. Because if you don't know where you're at, how can you build upon that, right? Right. And it's also the story of your life. So it's going to be different inevitably next year. Hopefully it's bigger. But if it's not, you need to be able to tell yourself why. Because either... I don't know, your house value plummeted. That's not your fault, right? Or you tapped into this savings account to buy something that was an emergency. Okay, that's also the story. Why do those numbers change is the entire story of your life is changing in these numbers. So you need to, I do mine quarterly, uh, but at least annually. And you don't have to tie your entire self-worth to that number, but that's how you start to build. You have to build from there. Oh my goodness, this is beautiful. And I love their analogy. Like basically your net worth is really telling the story of a life. That is so fantastic. Now you mentioned you leaving your full-time job uh, to take care of your family. That's something that I did that was very important early on in our marriage. We had that discussion that once we had kids, that was it for me. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be that mom at home when my kids get, came home. I wanted to be that mom that volunteered at the school that was able to go to the school field trips, those type of things, because I didn't have that. I was that quote unquote latchkey kid. So tell us yeah. about your, um, how that happened, the process, the thought process, uh, and what came up, what came about from that? Well, If I'm honest with you, I I thought that I wanted to be a working mom. And I thought that I was one of those idiots who thought that you could do everything with the baby that you did without the baby. You just bring the baby along, right? And that works for about two or three months when they just sleep in the carrier. But then when you actually start to go and have your life, you can't just bring the baby with you (laughs) wherever you go. I mean, I was a big idiot. I don't know, you know, like not an idiot. New moms, we think all kinds of crazy things, you know. And we're super women. We can do everything, right? That's what that's our thoughts. So I don't think I, I didn't plan to leave my job. It actually was not on my terms. Um, And actually we're recording this podcast in an industry, in a, in a time right now where stories like mine are, uh, they're big news. You know, like I, I had a story I could have told about my workforce in media and, um, you know, I, I, it was, it was not on my terms basically is what I'm going to say, um, so as we're recording this podcast today, we're, we're getting stories about, you know, all kinds of powerful men leaving their jobs because yes. of these stories in the media. So uh, I had a story at the time that would have uh, would have been big in today's news, but I, I left my job on terms that I did not want. Um, and so it was really hard for me. I... I I tied my entire self-worth to my career as a TV broadcaster. And I thought that that was what made me special. I thought that that salary, I had a six-figure salary that I was contributing to our family. I thought that that made us safe. Um, You know, I had all kinds of limiting beliefs about who I was as a news broadcaster that were just sort of taken away from me, you know, well, when my son was an infant. Now, in hindsight, it was the best thing that could have happened to me because I never would have forced myself out of that nest. I was comfortable with that. And I would not have been forced to reinvent myself and come up with this message about personal empowerment and help to share it with other people about how I used my business skills to apply wealth building in my family. 
Um, I never was going to do that. I would have just been doing what the network told me to do. And I'm super grateful for it. But it was a shake for me, I guess, if, if, if I'm honest about it. I, I didn't think like, oh, I want to stay home and raise my babies. But after a couple of months of being home with my son and then realizing we wanted to have another one, I didn't then go out and try and find another full-time job because I liked being home with him. And I felt like, oh, this is actually satisfying in a different way. I want to reinvent instead of just going back. I had some offers for full-time jobs and I was like, actually, I don't think I want that. Um, but it took a really long time because there was this ego of mine. And I don't mean ego like a narcissist because I don't think I'm a narcissist. The ego is just this part of you that wants to make you safe at all costs, right? It just tells you like, that's threatening, that's threatening, that's threatening, that's threatening. And so my ego felt like I needed that job to be safe and, and, and special and all of these things. So the ego for my ego as a network news employee really died a very slow death. Oh, my goodness. And then so you left the job and the income you were... Uh, making was a contribution. Basically, it was what you all needed to live on. So what shifted? Like what? How did you do go from, uh, I presume your husband was working, uh, from yeah. two incomes to one and just managing like the bills and the daily life and your lifestyle? Yeah. Well, you know, at first, we we kept separate checking accounts. I was very much a fan of Susie Orman's philosophy about keeping separate checking accounts and then one checking account for the shared expenses. And that worked for a while while we both had income. But when we didn't, that was really hard to parse out because I didn't have regular income to contribute because her philosophy is you both contribute the same percentage of your income. Um, but then it would be him giving me an allowance in order to, you know, contribute a percentage or him would, he would take the entire 100%. Like it just doesn't, it's really hard to make that work when there are not two separate incomes. And so I decided that we needed to merge our money and I was super proudful about it. Like I would not ask him for anything like we, um, where I was on my own medical insurance at CBS at the time when I had our first child because I wouldn't even ask him to put me on his plan because even though his plan was better at his job, I just was proud about it, you know? And so then when we, I had to pay like, I think it was like $1,800, the hospital bill that wasn't covered under my plan. And I didn't even tell him, like, I didn't ask him <laughs> to help me with it. I was like I said, I was really, really proud about it. Um, and I think it's interesting to look at the way you feel about certain things and how that manifests in your relationship with money. And so I, I remember I was like, I think we have to merge our accounts in order to make this work. And he's like, okay. And in my head, I was like, oh, that's easy for you because it's not easy for me. <laughs> it took me a like, long time to come to terms to it for this. And I was like, here's our budget. I had written it all out on an Excel spreadsheet. And here's what I think we need to make it work. And we could make it work. He had a really good job. And so it wasn't like that was super hard, but we had to change our lifestyle. We moved to the suburbs. Uh, we, we left the city. And so, you know, but I was, like I said... Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. 
I, w- I really wanted to make sure that my contribution to the family was not just domestic. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but like I said, my ego was so tied up in this paycheck job. And part of it, if I'm honest with myself, I thought, well, how is he going to love me if I don't have this high-powered career, right? And so a lot of women feel like that. And either they go to the gym a whole lot and make them their bodies more desirable, right? Or for mm-hmm. me, I went for a more academic-type pursuit, like – oh, maybe if I'm really great with money, then he'll still love me, right? This was not his, this is something he was putting on me. It was something I was putting on myself. Like I said, when I finally came to him and I was like, like I told him years later, I paid that hospital bill. And he was like, what? Why? You know, this is not, this was not his meme. It was mine. And so I, and so I said, well, I'm going to really learn to like rock out our investments. And he was like, great. That's what you want to do. That's fine. Um, You can see he's very amenable kind of guy. Like, you want to do that? (laughs) Sure. You know, you want to merge the money? Sure. That that's not. He he has his own sort of limiting beliefs about wealth. He talks about a lot on his podcast. But this is not one of them. Working together as a unit, um, or paying for like the birth of your child. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, I just decided that I'm going to like really be great with money. And so I started with our stock investments. And then I started to learn these various things. Like we started to open 529s out of state because I learned that you can shop for 529s. I didn't, you know, whereas most people think like, oh, you just open the one at the bank. I learned to shop for bank products. I started to go to the library, use my library card the old fashioned way and find any personal finance book I could get my hands on. And you know, slowly but surely, we began to build a business inside of our family. I was very adamant that my job as the chief home officer of our household was not just bill pay, because that's something that bothers me a lot when women talk about managing money. They sort of stop when it comes to just paying the bills. And that is not a holistic view of money. Money is not just bills, right? It doesn't just come in to like pay the electricity bill and the credit card bill. Most women manage the passwords. Like if you ask a man, you know, what's your login for your energy company? They're like, I don't know. My wife has that, right? (laughs) And that's fine. It's totally fine that we keep that organized, right? But if we're only managing the bills and not the actual wealth building part of our money, that's, I feel like that's really condescending for lack of a better word. It's, it diminishes us when we only do bill pay. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I can't agree more because when it comes to money, nine times out of 10, any money problems is not just about the money. It's about the other things that are going on in life. There's an emotional component to money, right? Life happens and it's just paying the bill or saving a little more and spending a little less is not going to solve the problem. It's how we actually manage the money, deal with money. There's just so many components uh, to this. Right. And also women are more, we have as a general rule, this is a gross generalization, but we have a lot more qualities that will make us better investments by and large. The data parses that out Yes, is that women are more successful investors, but we don't try. And there's so many different reasons for this. One thing that really bothers me is, you know, when you're watching commercials, you see retirement commercials, it's usually a man who's like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. I don't know. And then his wife asks some stupid question like, oh, honey, the Johnstons, you know, 
they just lost their job. Would we be okay? Like she doesn't even know the wife is this bit player. They don't talk to her. Most of the media around business banking is is not geared towards us. It's like, right. run along, honey, just pay the electricity bill. And so I really realized how that was making me feel to be the one who's just keeping the accounts of you know, the utilities, but not actually being active in building wealth. And so that's why I empowered myself to make sure that I was a huge participant in that instead of just a bit player. Now, at the same time, my husband had always been interested in real estate. And so he started to teach himself how to become a real estate investor through podcasts and you know, online courses. And both of us had owned investment real estate, but they weren't, they were okay investments. They weren't great. So he was a news anchor on Fox News. He anchored Fox and Friends on the weekends. And so he had the whole week free. And that's what he did during the week was learn to become a real estate investor. So he started to make these really great investments. In the meantime, I was, like I said, really focused, laser focused on exploding the net worth, the balance sheet. And so it, we became a really great team because he could identify these great investments. I could make the money happen. And so that's really how we, uh, in last, in the fall, actually, my husband left his day job too. Oh my goodness. And I love the, some themes that I'm seeing that you're, you're mentioning is that one, um, and I totally agree with the media, the stereotypes, just really with the women and um, that they only can do so much, but the stats show how better investors we are as a whole. But some of the things that I noticed that you were mentioning is that you took, you left your job and you said this, I'm going to focus on wealth, wealth building. It was something that was an interest of yours, right? So and your husband was interested in real estate. So take those interests, take the takes those strengths that you have and, and build upon that. Because when I work with clients, I always tell them, especially in a marriage scenario, is that you don't have to know all the things, but you have to be aware of what's going on. So like you said, it's not just about paying bills. It's about knowing your financial goals. It's about how you want to live in the future. It's about right. your values. It's about what you individually as individual or individually as individuals. That was just too much there, but you got <laughs> what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> as individuals, It's a personal what, choice is what you're saying. Right. Like what you want, your goals, your aspirations, there's so much to it. And I think I love that you each took a component of what you your interests were and that, will, that would allow you to reach those long-term financial goals and you know you submerge yourself in it. And I right. completely love that because a lot of people are just afraid they that's the thing with women we have is the lack of confidence. Uh, yeah. And a lot of the women I work with, they know what they have to do, right? When I talk with them, when I have the first initial um, session is they know what they they have to do. And some of the things that, and they're doing things right, but they just, they're lacking that confidence, right? And yeah. that that's a huge thing with us women. And granted, men, I'm sure lack confidence too, but I'm just talking about and the women here. Up, something that really bothers me is like, if I'm searching around Pinterest, and I see all of these blogs of like how to save here and save there and save. We come up with these ways to help loosen up the money that diminish us. And that bothers me a lot. Like you, you, 
when you go to Target and you're like, oh, I better not spend too much because my husband's making the money and I'm not, what are you telling yourself about your right. own worth, right? And you, and you look at the laundry detergent aisle, right? And the one that you think will not flare up your kid's eczema and probably is not seeping from the earth and like, you know, the most toxic detergent is the cheapest. And you're like, well, I better just buy that in bulk because that's what I'm worth. And so there, there's this sort of whole anatomy of a purchase that happens when you're so focused on budget living. And I don't like it. I feel like it demeans us. And so I don't like to spend my time seeing out nickels and dimes and, you know, living strict by a budget. I want to think about expanding your wealth consciousness, which is mm-hmm. what are you worth in every, for instance, my daughter, the youngest, I needed an umbrella stroller recently. So I went to um, the baby store because I wanted to actually like touch them. You know, I've, I've been through so many baby products. <laughs> she's my third. And I knew like there was very specific things I wanted. And so I went there and I was like, okay, the one that does everything that I want is the McLaren. Like clearly, you know, that McLaren's the oldest brand in, in umbrella strollers. They've been at this for a very long time. It's sturdy. It's durable. But then you look and every other stroller brand now has also umbrella strollers. It's very popular these days. And so I'm like, well, but I could get this one. It's a little bit cheaper. It's a knockoff of the McLaren. And I just sort of listened to the narrative in my head telling me I'm worth what I can afford. Should I make this choice? Should I skimp here? And I know for a fact that if I bought one of the cheaper ones, I would be back around for that McLaren for two very specific features that I wanted that the other ones didn't. Mm -hmm. But I listened to how I was telling myself like, oh, maybe you're not worth it. Maybe it's not, you know, maybe you're being a baby. Maybe, I don't know, all of these limiting beliefs went into this anatomy of a purchase. This happens to us as, especially as women who are making all the purchasing decisions all day, every day. Right. We're telling ourselves these stories like, can I afford it? Am I worth it? Am I going to get in trouble? Right. And that's such crap. We need to really be the narrators of every purchase, not the listeners of the narration. Right. And in the end, I did go with the McLaren. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love that being the narrators. And the other thing too, and I agree about, I am not a fan. I don't coupon. I mean, unless it's just handed to me and it's just convenient. But um, I don't go out of my way to do that stuff because here's the other thing that for me, and I completely agree with what you're saying. The other thing for me is when we are, let's say, couponing or like you mentioned, uh, opting for, let's say, a less expensive item uh, because you want to save that money. What people aren't doing is that, yes, they maybe they opted for the lesser item or they use that coupon and on top of it with the sales, they save that money. But that savings, where did that go? Right. right? Yeah. And they're yeah. not there. And that's, that's a big mistake that I see a lot of people. That's great. You're saving that money. Maybe you're purchasing um, the ingredients to make uh, the detergent at home, whatever it is. Right. <laughs> but what are you doing with that savings? Are you putting it to use? Because if you're not putting it to use, you're doing all this work or uh, buying a lesser item that maybe you weren't happy with for what? Right. Right. So it's and most just, of the time you go back and buy the thing you wanted originally because, you know, when you skimp on something, you're you're sacrificing something probably for a reason because, you know, cheap things aren't good and good things aren't cheap. 
And also, like, coupons are usually things that you should not be buying anyway. If you're right. a really informed consumer, you notice that coupons are for processed food. Exactly. And, you know, maybe plastic baggies, which are also bad for the earth. Like, really, nothing you really want is going to be in a coop. There are no coupons for broccoli, you know. So it's just kind of, it's not a healthy lifestyle, I don't think. Right. No, no, I agree. And I love, um, you had also mentioned about the self-work. And as women, like, let's say we, like, like we did, we decided to um, quit our jobs and be at home with our kids. And there's nothing wrong with that. And sometimes we feel like, oh, goodness, we're not contributing financially. But we have to set that aside because we're contributing in so many other ways that are so, it's priceless, right? With our kids and and raising our kids. So we need to set that aside and know that you are worth it. Like you were mentioning the stroller that you wanted. um, Mm -hmm. And and you mentioned also being that narrator. And it's just a matter of like the things that you want, write those things out and, you know, what their cost is. And then from there, ask yourself, how can you make it happen versus, oh my goodness, I can't do this. But it's always about how you can make it happen. Cause I guarantee you there's that power in writing things down. Like you were mentioning, cause I also, I loved about your net worth and how is that story of your life and that you took it a step further. Why are things changing? Right? So it's a matter of writing these uh, things that we want, looking at what our life is looking like, asking yeah. those questions as well, I think is really, really powerful. And I love really how your brain thinks. <laughs> It's very logical. I'm a Virgo. Like it's all, it it all makes sense in my head. You know, there are plenty of times where my husband, I'm like, you need to come to my computer now and I'll send him down at least once a month. And I'm like, look at the spreadsheets. And he's not a spreadsheet type person, but he has to be now married to me because everything goes by the spreadsheets, you know? Right. Oh my goodness. Well, this has been fantastic, Natalie. You've shared so many nuggets here that I absolutely love. Now, you know, this podcast is all about making money simple and taking control of it. So how would you finish this sentence? Her money matters because. Her money matters because your belief in yourself manifests in your wealth. Oh my goodness. I love that one. Beautiful. I appreciate you sharing that, Natalie. It's been a great pleasure having you on the show. And I hope to connect with you again sometime soon. Definitely. Thanks for having me. And I really think that you are, you know, I I listen to your podcast and the things that you say are not necessarily popular things. um, (laughs) But I think that it's important to have the courage to say them and, and to really, you know, take control of your finances, just one piece at a time. Like it's really overwhelming when you look at all of your banking products, your mortgage, your car payment, all of that stuff, but just take it one tiny, tiny piece at a time and you will build from there. And so, um, you know, it's so great that there are people like you who are trying to help other people where they maybe feel powerless to really empower themselves. Thank you so much. I appreciate those words. What do you say? She's pretty fantastic, isn't she? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed chatting and getting to know Natalie. Now, I have some, definitely some takeaways that I want to talk about. But before we do that, as usually, I want to do La Mención Semanal or the weekly shout out. And this week, I want to highlight Wendy. She has been completely focused 
working super hard to get her debt paid off. And I couldn't be more happy for her. Uh, she shared recently that she has paid off about $35,000 of debt in the last 15 months. She has about 15,000 more to go. So let's cheer her on. And she's just been looking for some additional support to get her through this last stretch. So we are here for you, Wendy. Keep going. Well done. You are really, truly an inspiration to others that it can be done with focus, commitment, consistency, and even with the sacrifice that you've been doing. So keep up the great work. You are almost there. As far as today's show, Natalie really had a great story. And if you loved her as much as I did, just go make sure that you go learn more about her over at nataliemorris.com. I'll be sure to have the link in the show notes. Now, I love her perspective on money and how she sees net worth over the progression of time to be narrating the story of your life. We always tend to shy away from knowing our net worth because what if it's in the negative or what if it's a low number? Net worth is, we equate that to being wealthy or or, or the rich, uh, but net worth is something we all need to know, right? We need to know where we stand. Uh, because if we know where we stand, we know what we need to do to improve or how much work we need to do to improve that number. So adding the dimension of documenting your journey with your net worth makes it more interesting, don't you think? And really not so daunting. So I encourage you, if you don't do so already, to start keeping tabs of your net worth. Remember, your net worth is your assets minus liabilities. So the value of what you own, uh, like your house, the value of the car, uh, value of the investments, uh, minus what you owe. So the value of what you own are your assets, and what you owe are your liabilities. So what you owe could be your mortgage, a car loan, credit card debt, student loans, and so forth. If you haven't done this yet, I encourage you to do so this week. And once you do, go to our community and post, I calculated my net worth, Jen, in there, and I will give you a high five. So that is a wrap for today. Next week, we're going to talk to Rocky Lalvani, and he's going to share with us how his father raised him as a single dad and what money lessons he learned. So I want to thank Natalie for joining us today, for sharing her story, for showing all the, sharing all the value that she shared today. You can uh, learn more about Natalie, again, at her website, which is in our show notes, which you can find at jenhemphill.com forward slash 137. Also, don't forget, if you loved this episode, please, it would mean the world to me if you take a moment to either share this episode or share this podcast with a friend or family member or just someone you care about. So thanks again for joining me. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. We'll talk next Thursday. Ciao.